I'll be using the word burden a lot today. And the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to go to in a moment, is at least in part to differentiate, differentiate between the burdens of the Old Covenant and the burdens of the New Covenant. You know, you look at your Bible and you see the word New Test, Old Testament, New Testament. Those aren't just um, uh, labels. <laughs> it's It's... Indicative of a whole new way of thinking, a whole new approach to God that was brought by Jesus Christ. The cross is the crossroads between the old covenant that was not evil or bad. It was good. It was necessary. But it was not to be the final answer. The Bible says the old testament, the old covenant was our schoolmaster, Paul said, to bring us to Christ. So we, we get brought to Christ, and there are burdens that are lifted by that. Jesus said, though, this very, very interesting, very important statement. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He did not say, no burdens with me. <laughs> no, he said, my burden is easy, though. My burden you can handle. It's doable. So I know uh, I, I'm so appreciative of you all being here today, first of all. Take your Sunday in the summer to come out and hear the Word of God and worship. So appreciative of that, and thank you. And I pray that I wish you well today. I pray, you know, I pray a blessing on you. Maybe something I can say, things I can say, and the pr- truth I can present in the next few moments can really help you to go forward in your life. That's what I want today. Uh, now, the, the series is called Things That Jesus Would Never Say. And the sentence I, I want to use today is this one. Jesus would never say, I just want you to be happy. That sentence means, I don't want anything to burden you. That's what that sentence means. When I was that little blonde-headed boy all those years ago sitting on the front row of our church for every evangelist who came by, and one of those evangelists was Ike Davis, and I remember he sang a song, and I, even as a little boy I heard it, and it, it grabbed me, and I used to go over and singing it to myself. It said, I don't want to be free from the task that you gave me. I don't want to be free from the burden to bear. The weight may be heavy, but it's a privilege to bear it. I don't want to be free, Lord, from your, from, from your guiding hand, Lord. I don't want to be free. And it struck me, because we always talked about freedom in Christ, it struck me that there were freedoms I, did not, I should not want. Matthew 5, 1 through 12, I'm not going to read it. Uh, hopefully you're following along in the app today, if you want to, because there's a lot of points today we put on the app instead of on the wall because I just wanted to maybe maintain a little more eye contact with you instead of you looking up there today. So we didn't put a lot of the points on the wall that we usually do. But they're all in the app. And I think it would be really a blessing to you if you would follow there. I would say to this statement, though, that I'm saying Jesus wouldn't say, um, I would say that God wouldn't want me to be unhappy is the number one measure of how most people have communicated to me that they determine the will of God for their life. I would say, number one, of all the things I've heard in the last 20, 25 years 
people tell me how they determine guidance from God, it's that, that God would not want me to be unhappy. This belief we have of sometimes that God's primary aim for the individual is personal happiness and comfort is really prevalent. And it's understandably so, because A, everyone, including myself, prefers to be happy and comfortable, of course. And B, so much of what God created in the world that we experience every day is, makes us very happy. Right? We have experiences every day, every week, whether it's a food, a sunset, a drive in the country, whatever. God lets us have all these experiences that feel very good, and they should. See, though, it's universally agreed upon that if it's in your power to make someone happy and you selfishly refuse, you're not okay. I'm talking about why we fall into that belief that the way to know what God wants for your life is whether or not it makes you happy is so prevalent. It's so natural. And finally, there's this concept that the old covenant under Moses came with a lot of burdens and the new covenant under Christ comes with none. I've already explained to you why that's not true. But knowing all those things about happiness, one would expect that Jesus, the expressed image of God, one would expect that Jesus, the expressed image of God, that when he arrived, he would probably say something, I just want you to be happy. But I can't think of anything more un-Jesus-like. If you examine his communication, I can't think of anything more un-Jesus-like than I just want you to be happy. In John 5, 15, 20, he said, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. Doesn't sound like a life of happiness to me. And in Mark 21, he said to a man who was young man who was very rich, when he asked about how to have eternal life, and he said he had kept the laws of Moses, he had borne the burdens of Moses' law, he said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So this morning, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about why Jesus wouldn't say that. Why Jesus would never say, I just want you to be happy. What he would, would say instead of that, which you said it right in our text. And how, number three, how you can pursue meaning over happiness. Now, why would Jesus never say, I just want you to be happy? Well, let's just do some brainstorming this morning. Why he wouldn't say that and why that's not a good thing to say. Well, first of all, how about the fact that children raised by parents who say that to them, those children, this is, this is universal, the jury's already in, already decided, those children become increasingly unhappy until that child either rebels or someone intervenes to stop them from this trajectory of a parent who dedicated their life to the purpose that their child would not be unhappy. How about the fact that the desire to be happy won't get you out of bed in the morning? and into the world. 
but the desire to bear responsibility and purpose will get you out of bed and into the world. How about the fact that I just want you to be happy really means you have no vision for the greatness in me and the person that I could be. It's like, well, the best I can envision you ever attaining is personal comfort and happiness. That's kind of, and that's just going to be, that's about, that's about all I can imagine for you. <laughs> and it, if there's some version of I want you to be happy is something we say to a terminally ill person. We say, let's just make them comfortable. You know, mom, I see you here today and you're just such an amazing person in, in your, the strength that you have. And the other day you go to the hospital and right, and you're, you're you know, I forget what that level is that it dropped, but it dropped and, and, uh, 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 you weren't breathing well and, and uh, you'd, you'd had a mild stroke, we learned later. And if anybody knows mom or Nana, as most of us call her, uh, if she had heard us say to the medical staff, just make her comfortable, she would have gotten out of bed and slapped us all. Because she didn't just want to be comfortable. She wanted us to tell her, what's the hard thing you want me to do so I can get out of here and get back to work at the blessing bar? <laughs> she didn't want to hear, we just want you to be happy. No, no. Think about it. Jesus was a challenger. He never went on doing anything but telling people in so many words, you can do more, you can be more, you can accomplish more. Pick up your burden. That's what Jesus did. Jesus would always push people to do what they did not think they could do before. You know, he would go like, take up your bed and walk. Stretch out your hand. I mean, when their hand, that hurt. You guys, oh, that's going to hurt. Stretch it out anyway. Rise and walk. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You're just trying to catch fish over here. Let me give you something harder to do. <laughs> Whenever a highly competent person says, do what I tell you to do and you will be great at something, they're preparing you to be miserable. I'm telling you, they're preparing you to be miserable. When you go see a great piano teacher and you can't play hardly at all, and they say, I'm going to make you a piano player. Get ready. <laughs> They're not saying, I just want you to be happy. They're getting ready to make you suffer like nothing you've ever done, suffered before. <laughs> My piano teacher used to, because I never had good posture, and I would sit like this, and he would slap me on the back. Set up straight when you play the piano. <laughs> How about the fact that anyone who says to you, I just want you to be happy. It's actually focused on how much your unhappiness will make them unhappy. Or at least they're seriously uninformed and about what a terrible thing they're doing to you. It might even be worse than that. It, it can't even be more evil than that. Remember the movie Misery? Some of you remember that movie? <laughs> Annie Wilkes is this nurse, you know, that played by Kathy Bates. And she 
meets this novelist that she was just in awe of, named Paul, Paul Sheldon, who played by James Kahn. And in the movie, uh, she does all these horrible things to keep him from leaving her, her, her home, her cabin, or whatever it was. And eventually, she broke his ankles with sledgehammer, so he could not leave her, because she loved him so much. <laughs> Human beings do stuff like that. We do stuff like that to our family. Oh, yes. Moms and dads do that to their kids sometimes. I love you so much. I never want you to not need me. And that would just be tragic if you didn't need me. So I'm going to tell you, I just want you to be happy. Not good. That's why Jesus would never say that, because God is good. God is good. So he would never say, I just want you to be happy. How about the fact that suffering is one of the primary signs that you're moving forward and doing the right thing? You know you're getting better if it's stressful. I mean, go to the gym and just do things that don't stress you and see how much good that does you. You know, just kind of walk around and talk to people. <laughs> I know people who do that. They just go to the gym, walk around, talk to people. How about the fact that a just-be-happy life is the goal of an addict? Every addict in the world wakes up every morning thinking, I want to be in a good mood. And I have found a shortcut. It's this thing or this, this drug or this alcohol or this, this thing I'm going to look at or relationship that's bad for me. I know it's bad for me. I'm going to do it anyway because it makes me feel good. How about this too? How about the fact that rejoice is a choice? Rejoice, at the end of this passage, called the Beatitudes, the end of this passage says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice is a choice. It's something you do. It's, it's, not, it's something you will, not something you feel. Right? It's something you will, not something you feel. So, what would Jesus say instead of, I just want you to be happy? The word that Jesus used for happy, this is a very interesting thing, I believe, uh, and I think this will be helpful to you. Because naturally, I think of happy, I, I think of uh, being thrilled or excited or stimulated or uh, uh, a, good, a, high, a high good mood. And, and, and believe me, that's, Jesus didn't say, I don't want you to be happy either. <laughs> he didn't say that either. Because those moments that come, and, there, and there, there's so many of them, more than, more than most of us realize, moments that are really, really heaven on earth. I mean, there's just so many of them that we have in life. And they're, they're wonderful. And when they come, embrace them by all means, by all means. When ecstasy uh, within the within righteous boundaries, with ecstasy within righteous boundaries uh, happens to you or, or is available to you, by all means that's not unholy at all. In fact, I, I think I think that's a part of of uh, with worship. Jay talked about the acts of worship this morning, and I do believe that's a I do believe uh, those times of j- extreme joyfulness. Uh, are, are moments, often moments of worship, when you're overwhelmed by the beauty of God. 
when you're overwhelmed by the beauty of life, you're overwhelmed by something like, it, I think it's just, so, so by all means, ride the wave. Ride the wave, man. And I've seen people who wouldn't. I've seen people who couldn't ride a wave of, of, of good fortune. Or they, they just couldn't ride a wave. By, by, don't do that. By all means, enjoy that. But it doesn't define. It's too narrow a definition of happiness. The word happy or blessed, as we, as we see in our text, is makarios. And it was deeper than excited and thrilled. It meant, it meant a state of being. It meant to be great. It was, it was used to describe what the Greeks heard when they heard that word. They used that word. They used it to describe the unbelievable powerful state of the gods. They use it to describe a, a, a place where you are in your life. Being in a really great place, in a great space in your life. That's the totality of your life. And it's about how you live your life. And, and it's about other people will think of you as a great person. Especially the, great, the good people in the world. The good people in the world will think of you, that's a great guy. That's a great lady. That's a great person. Well, regardless of what that person's emotional state is from day to day, that is a happy person. That's a blessed man or woman who lives a great life. And that's what you're empowered to do. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit came to empower you to be great. Think of it. Think of it. Think of what Jesus said. If anyone would be great in the kingdom of God. Jesus has very high aspirations for you. Jesus has very high, very high and lofty goals for you. He didn't shy away from saying, I want to tell you guys how to be great. He didn't shy away from that. But here's the way to do it. And as we're going to see later, we're going to move into the hows, the next part of this message. It's counterintuitive. And that's one of the greatest principles you will ever know and learn about the kingdom of God. It's, 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 it's counterintuitive. The, the Beatitudes are counterintuitive, contradictory, paradoxical to how you would ever think of being happy. That's why you need Jesus, because you, you will never think of how it really works. You will never, it will never occur to you what would really work to be the greatest person you could possibly be and to be the happiest person you could possibly be. You will never find the answers on your own. So what would Jesus say instead of just, I just want you to be happy? Well, all the beatitudes hinge on the first one. Jesus would say, and I'm, what I'm going to do I'm going to give you, I'm going to try to do this kind of like Jesus did it that day. I'm just going to give you every beatitude, but I'm going to try to put it in language that I think we can understand. And I, I'm not going to get it perfect or right. Maybe if I preach this a year from now, I may say it a little bit differently. But this is the best I could come up with for today. And if you're following along in the app or you're following along the scripture, just follow along with the really eight. And the way I see it, it's nine. But however you see it, eight Steps to a blessed life. Eight steps to real happiness. So they all hinge on the first one, though, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. So I'll say it this way. Jesus would say, not, I just want you to be happy. He would say, I want you to carry the burden 
of giving up all your claims of your own goodness. I want you to carry the burden of giving up claims of your own goodness. He's saying, here's the way to really be happy. In other words, think of it. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, how do you get poor in spirit? You're not, you're not, you're not born into this world without, without any spirituality. You're not born into this world without any goodness. You are born into this world with a certain amount of goodness. Everybody, and that's one of the huge barriers for people to come to Christ. They will say to me, I'm a, but I'm a good person. He's, he's a good person. And that's not untrue. We can be good without an, a personal relationship with Christ. But Christ says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, I want you to divest yourself of all your goodness. Divest yourself of all the things, all the claims you have to being a pretty good person. And say, I'm going to give all that away. I'm going to count all my righteousness as filthy rags. To be poor in spirit is to detach yourself from everything that you've relied on for self-esteem in the past and rely completely on Jesus. Rely completely on God like a beggar completely relies on other people for their survival. It's a shift from material to a spiritual pursuit of joy. So Jesus would say, I want you to carry the burden. See, this is all about picking up a burden. Let go of the burden of sin, the burden of guilt, the burden of shame. Now pick up this burden of all claims of your goodness and say, I, I let go of it all. Jesus would say, would not say, I just want you to be happy. He would say, I want you to carry the burden of being sad and upset over what you should be sad and upset over. Jesus would say, figure out what is intolerable in yourself and in the world and grieve over it. Now that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it, to being happy. But he says, blessed are those who mourn, in verse 4, for they will be comforted. When I watch the news, I look for things that will make me sad. I look for things that I know makes God sad. And I want to get in congruence with God. Because that's the way to be the person he wants me to be. Just this week, I was saddened when I read that Canada's summer jobs program, this is for youth, the youth of Canada to work, the government subsidized, government, uh, subsidized summer jobs program. They have passed a law that you must be pro-abortion in order to get a summer job through the summer jobs program. That makes me sad. Now, I, I would not approve of, of them blocking people who are pro-choice either. That's that's, that's, that's wrong as well. But the fact that you would, you, would, you would dare combine a pro-choice stance with, with getting a government benefit is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it makes me sad. 
I, I know we don't want to be sad, but we need to be sad. I know we don't want to mourn. I know we don't want to grieve, but we need to grieve. Because there are things in this world that if we don't grieve over, we will not think rightly. We will not think correctly if there are things in this world and things in our own lives that we don't learn to grieve over. Amen? Jesus would say, I want you to carry the burden of controlling your strength. I like this one a lot. Because people misunderstand this. Because the word meek rhymes with weak. They don't understand what meek means. But the word meek means strength under power, or power under control. Strength under control. See, there are two kinds of people. People that aren't helpful people because they're not strong enough to hurt anybody. <laughs> they're not brave enough to hurt anybody. And then there are people that aren't strong enough to keep from hurting people. Jesus says, I want you to be strong enough that you could hurt somebody, but under control enough that you wouldn't. That's the people that will be blessed. Jesus would say, be tough enough to hurt people, be strong enough not to. In other words, I always say it this way, and this kind of bleeds over into another one, but it's worth saying. Uh, it means to be strong enough to tolerate an insult. Next, Jesus would say, bear the burden of craving holiness. Jesus would say, don't be condemned by your sin. Be dissatisfied with it. Don't be condemned by it. Just be dissatisfied with it. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Boy, that's such an important one to begin to cultivate. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. A hunger and a thirst for a conscience that's clear before God. The next beatitude, I would say it like this. Jesus would say, I want you to bear the burden of not being easily offended to the point of revenge. Jesus would say, don't let your personal holiness make you think you've earned the right to judge other people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercifully. In other words, actively pursue healing broken relationships. Don't be a troublemaker who causes divisions. Be merciful. Next, Jesus would say, I want you to bear the burden of examining your motives. Jesus would say, your motives matter. Clean, clean up your motives. Blessed, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Next, Jesus would say, I want you to bear the burden of helping people resolve their conflict. If you want people to say you're a Christian, prove it by being able to help other people resolve their differences and come together. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I'm talking about which burden is in front of you today that you need to pick up. Number eight of the Beatitudes, Jesus would say, I want you to bear the burden of living in such a way that certain people will see you as a threat. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus would say, be so good that it causes stress and pressure in your life. That's what he would say. And Jesus would also say, I want you to bear the burden of being so closely aligned with me that the people who won't get, want to get rid of me will also want to get rid of you. 
Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. B, get on the front lines. Remember that you're engaged in a spiritual battle. Get out there and fight. Stay, staying out of it means you want to be safe from persecution and safe from criticism. If you're going to do this right, you're going to do some things that sometimes are going to get you criticized. Sometimes that are going to cause people not to like you. And some people are going to be offended by you. And I know, I know that the new holiness in this culture today is if you offend someone, then you're wrong. But that is not what the Bible teaches. And I'm not trying to live by the culture. I'm trying to live by the word of God. I'm trying to live, but I'm trying to follow Jesus. That's the number one thing I'm trying to do in life is follow Jesus. And yes, I want to be sensitive to the culture. And yes, I want to care about that. And, and I don't want to needlessly offend people. I'm not saying that at all, but there will be, there will be issues. You got to pick your battles carefully. Uh, let me tell you that. Pick your battles carefully, but there are issues and there are times when to follow Jesus means that people will be offended at you and people will want to get rid of you. Jesus says, this is really counterproductive, but this is the way to be happy. <laughs> See why you would have never figured this out on your own? You never would. So how can you pursue meaning and hap- instead of happiness and end up? How can you pursue meaning instead of happiness and end up with happiness? Well, I answer this two, two I want to answer this with a two-part statement or a two-part question I meant to say. Am I willing to live in a way that contradicts any thinking person's definition of happiness? Am I willing to live in a way that contradicts any thinking person's definition of happiness? Am I willing to give my money away? Am I willing to serve when I get nothing for it? Am I willing to forgive when it seems illogical? Am I willing to care about things that will put me at odds with my culture? Am I willing to do things that are actually stress stress chasing instead of stress avoidance? Am I willing to actually put myself in places where I'm under pressure? Am I actually, am I willing to do more than I'm asked to do? Am I willing to go the second mile with people instead of trying to go nowhere with them at all? Am I willing to go forward? Am I, am I willing to do more than I'm asked to do? Am I willing to live in a way that contradicts any thinking person's definition of happiness? And second part of that question is, am I willing to pick up the burden that will without question Make my environment more like the kingdom of God. Am I willing to pick up the burden that without question will make my environment more like the kingdom of God? I think of two people in contemporary history that kind of epitomize the two different paths. And I'm not saying that one of these persons was a bad person or not a caring person because uh, their evidence says she was. But I just mean the general persona and the general pursuit of these two people was so divergent. And those two people I'm thinking about are Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. Princess Diana had it all. Beauty, fame, money, wealth, friends in high places, pretty much anything she wanted in life. 
What we know about Princess Diana is that she was a very unhappy person. She could not grapple with whatever demons that made her unhappy. All that she had, everything that anybody in this room, if, if I offered you today the life, if you didn't know her and you didn't know what happened and every, all that, if I said you can have the life of Princess Diana, I think almost any person who's thinking, that, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I, I, I can handle it better than her. That's probably what you're telling yourself. Now, even those of you who know the, the, the many things she did to try to be happy and couldn't find happiness. You would go, I, yeah, I, I, could do, I could do it better than her, okay? Because I'm smarter than her. I, I, could, I could figure out how to take all that wealth and all that fame and all that beauty. And if I had that, uh, man, I, 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 would, I would do it a lot better than her. Contrast that with Mother Teresa, who um, my brother was telling me a story about uh, this woman was on an airplane and she had this role. Uh, uh, like a long thing, and, and the, she was holding on to it. And you know how they are in the airlines. They don't want you to do that. And so they kept, no, we're going to take that. We've got to put this in the bin or whatever up front. She said, no. You come to find out it was the bedroll that Mother Teresa carried with her everywhere she went because she refused to sleep on a bed because the poor people that she ministered to didn't have beds, so she would sleep on the floor on a mat. Now, she was extreme, right? I'm not saying you have to become like that or to that extent, almost eccentric, extreme. But who was truly great? Which one of these two people, now that they're gone, which one do you, would you really like to be like? Would you really like to be like the person who picked up the heaviest burden she could pick up and carry it so gracefully and so beautifully? Or would you choose the fame, the beauty, and the money of Princess Diana? I don't think that's, that's even a, something we need to talk about. We all know. We all know the person that was happiest. We all know the person that was makarios, blessed. But you see, Jesus said it. Oh, if we could only understand it, that, that Jesus, Jesus didn't come uh, to make us miserable. He came to put us in alignment with how life works. He, he came to align us up with, with the universe. And, and not only that, he came to make us great and to make our lives count and, and have meaning. That's what he came for. And he says in First John 12, 49, I do not speak on my own, but my Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And let, me just, oh, let me just encourage you today to get in the Gospels and read them. Read, read these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read these three chapters. They're there for a purpose. They are, they are the bridge from the old custom, covenant to the new. They're the bridge into the kingdom of God. And also, Jesus didn't come just to give us this salvation contract, package, deal. He didn't come just to give us this, this. He came to give us a life. A life that we start living today. That, that you enter the kingdom of God today. And sometimes evangelical churches, we put so much emphasis on 
getting forgiven of your sins so you can go to heaven. We just kind of don't think about anything between now and death. And the Lord's put you on this planet, man, for the next, I don't know, whatever you got left, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, he put you on, on here to live, to live a life of, of a blessed life. And he, and he tells you, there's, here's how you do it. It's totally counterintuitive to anything you would ever think, though. And that's the most important thing I can say to you today. That on the other side of hard is happy. On the other side of weighty is wonderful. On the other side of stress is satisfaction. On the other side of pressure is purpose. On the other side of the mountain is meaning. On the other side of the crucifixion is the kingdom of God. What brings us happiness is that we're brought into the kingdom of God. And he gives us the rules. And the rules are easy. Anybody can do it. They're hard, but they're easy. They're simple. Let's put it that way. Maybe they're not easy. They're simple. I want to close with a a quote from Scott McKnight in his book that I am in the process of listening to the audio version of it. And um, I like Scott McKnight. It's called Open to the Spirit. And he says... Every time we're open to the Spirit steps, the Spirit takes us to Jesus, the living Word. The Jesus to whom the Spirit introduces us is bound to disturb us. We've developed the habit of making Jesus nice, but Jesus doesn't play nice. As Dorothy Sayers put it, the people who hang Jesus never, never to do them justice accused him of being a bore On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and to surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We very efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. When Jesus first announced his mission, he didn't do a seeker-sensitive thing. He didn't take a poll to discover what spiritually inquisitive people in Galilee were looking for. (laughs) No, Jesus stood up in an obscure corner of the world and spoke about the kingdom of God being at hand, just under the skin and ready to break out. This man was radical. And the spirit, if we are open, will take us to the same Jesus. You ready? Ready to go? You know, the other day I closed with with this little just common illustration, right? The other day, I mean, how many of you own a pool? I have a love-hate relationship with my pool. We bought this house. It had an in-ground pool. And, and if, you, if you're thinking about putting an in-ground pool, just come and talk to me before you do it. Unless you, unless you feel like that's the burden that God's put on you, okay? <laughs> every year, every year, I look out there, and, oh, i got to open that thing again, you know? And so the other day, I, I decided, uh, if many years I would hire somebody, but this year I decided I'm going to be a man and open my own pool. And so I go down to Crystal, and I buy the five-gallon jugs of, of chlorine and all the stuff. And I, I remember, I, I, I thought through this, I pull up to the curb, I got there in the back of the car, I'm thinking, I wish someone would get... I wish there was a pulley system or something. I don't have to, I have to carry all those things. I need five trips. 
I'm going to carry these heavy jugs up there. And, and I'd already taken the pool cover off, which was a hassle. And the pool is as green as green can be. And who knows? You just don't know what's under there. You just don't know what's going to happen. Animals. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But you know what I love? I really do. I love. I don't care. I don't swim much. I'm not much of a swimmer. I love seeing the kids swim in that pool, though. Man, that is. I love it. I love it when my kids bring all their friends over and they and they jump in the pool, or when my grandkids come over. I'm sad that they got their own pool now. They're gonna swim in their own pool. But I thought about that when I was thinking of the sermon. You know, I carried those things, and then, and it was like I probably invested 12 hours into getting that pool cleaned up and running. And then Steve came over, and my son-in-law came over. So the pool pump was out, which is going to happen. You're going to you're going to spend an extra four or five hundred bucks. Something's going to go wrong with the pool, right? So the pool pump was burned out and I had to go buy a new pool pump. And But when it was all done, that water was so clear. It's clear right now. I got it all vacuumed out. And a bunch of the young people from the church and Elise, they swam in it. I, I forgot about how hard it was to open it already. I, I didn't forget. I'm not that... I'm not that I'm not that holy. But that's the way it is, isn't it? If you'll pick up what is the see, here's the thing about the Beatitudes. You don't have to pick them all up at once. You can't pick them all. Pick up the one which one's next for you? What is your next burden to pick up? You heard me mention eight things, or actually nine things. Which one are you supposed to pick up next? Our prayer partners are coming right now, I think. And uh, maybe you want to come up here and pray with them about one of those burdens that you're being called to pick up right now. Maybe you word it differently, but you know, you know that the glory of God is calling you to pick up something that you wouldn't naturally pick up. But you believe the word of God. I'm going to pray a short prayer, and I want you to come. By the way, you're welcome to come up here and be prayed for for anything that's going on in your life. And please receive communion and let's enter the time of worship. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the people that have a big burden in front of them that's a God-ordained burden. We all have burdens that we don't choose, but we have the burdens that you let us choose. These are the ones that really bring us to glory. Let us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come? Let's enter response time, folks.